You're about to listen to an interview which our socios enjoyed in full 12 months ago. If you'd like to listen to these exclusive monthly big interviews on the day that they're released, it's time to join us. That means supporting us. It means the price of a pint per month. Go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Graham Hunter. Go now, join and become a socio. That means you'll get that extra big interview every month. And you'll also unlock our entire archive straight away. All for £2.99 a month. It's the best deal in town, baby. And we need you. Hello, my beloved socios. Okay, this is a first. After two and a half seasons, we finally got a Knight of the Realm on the show. So, please be upstanding for Sir Les Ferdinand. If you watched football in the 90s, you'll have special memories of Les Ferdinand for QPR and Newcastle in particular. He was a hugely popular striker, powerful, quick, supreme in the air, particularly for his height. He's now back at QPR, which was his first professional club, as director of football. We need to talk about one of the areas of your life that was fun and successful, and it's mm-hmm. Newcastle. And the obvious thing to ask you about Newcastle is either saxophones or helicopters or motorbikes <laughs> I've been in a helicopter now and again for work yeah. and it's extraordinary what the hell <laughs> were you doing in a helicopter as, a, as probably as a Newcastle player yes did you have a little clause in your contract so your helicopter's fine no yeah. problem at all or, or not or just um, try and explain that a little bit okay so <laughs> how do I explain it I was told <laughs> In your you're con- supposed in, to know. In your contract, it says you're not allowed to do any any dangerous sport. Already, I think you've won this argument. Okay. Okay. Yeah, the lawyers at Newcastle needed to make that a bit broader, okay. right? So uh, when I went to, when I went to Spurs um, in the summer, I used to ride my motorbike. I learned how to ride a motorbike at Newcastle. And David Pleat once said to me, <laughs> "Do you realise in your in your contract it says no dangerous sport?" I said, "Yeah, no, I understand that." He said, "But you ride a motorbike." I don't ride it for sport. <laughs> I said I ride it to get from A to B. All right, listen, all right, Mr. Ferdinand. Okay, Mr. Ferdinand. Yeah, but you know what I'm talking about. I said, well, I don't really. You said no dangerous sports, and I said I don't ride it around the track. In shut case, you won it. You could have been a lawyer. You could have been a QC. <laughs> so the same applied to to the to, to the helicopter, and um, and basically, it was Keegan's. It wasn't his idea to fly helicopters, but what he said to me, he said, look... Um, it was definitely feasible. You could have sold me that. I met Kevin and I admire him, but he's got that character. It could have been. Well, his, he was the one who allowed me to, to, to learn how to, to, to ride a motorbike. Because um, when I went there, he said to me, um, look, you know, in London you can get lost. You know, you can go out and you can go different parts of London and, and people won't bother you. Yeah. He oh, said, Newcastle. You come to Newcastle as the number nine. He said, everywhere you go, you're going to get bothered. And I was like, okay. He said, this is a golf horse, bro. And he said, I'm telling you this because this is exactly what it is. And so I don't want you to come up here and go, I didn't expect this and I didn't expect that. This is exactly what it is. So he said, is there anything that you want to do? Is there anything you want to learn? Is there anything you want to do? So I said, 
yeah, there's a couple of things, really. So I said, well, have a think about it and come back to me. So I went back and I said, right, I want to learn how to cook properly. I want to learn how to, to, to play the saxophone. And right on my right. And that was it. Those were the first, the, they, were, they were the three things. And he went, well, certainly with the cooking and uh, and uh, and, uh, and uh, saxophone, we can help. And he went, riding a motorbike. He went, I'm not sure if we can help with that one. I went, well, that, you asked me what I wanted to do, and he went, okay. And he said, I think one of the the, the motorbike uh, Harley Davidson place up there had made him a motorbike. And he went, I tell you what, I'll allow you to to do your test if you ride the motorbike they've made for me back to my house. Well, oh, it'll be a pleasure. It's right, so that was no, that. It's a deal. So that was a deal. So this is the full hog. Is it with a low seat and high handlebars? Yeah. Is this the- I never got to ride it. I never got to ride his bike, but I passed my test up there while I was up there. Yeah, I uh, I learned how to cook, and at the time um, I said to him, oh, "But the cooking part's no problem. I go to night school." He went, "No, you won't." I went, "Yeah, well, I said I'll, go, I'll find somewhere." And he go, "You won't go to night school." I said, "I will." He said, "Les, I've told you the reason why we're doing this is because you'll get mired." He said, "Can you imagine going to night school to learn how to cook?" He said, "It just won't happen." I said, well, and, and, "And I was quite naive to it. I was going, what are you talking about?" He went, the people will not stop bothering you. You'd never have a chap any vegetables. You'd be like, right, what about you? Yes, chef. <laughs> so what happened was, um, Sir John Hall um, had a chef, uh, a butler called Issa, and he said to me, look, we'll, we'll arrange a couple of days a week where you come over and I'll teach you how to cook some nice dishes. So that's what I did. I went, I used to go over to Sir John's house and um, I'd learn with Issa how to cook. Fantastic. And then um, I went into to learning how to play the saxophone which I think we're all, more Clarence Clements are we more Springsteen than not Kenny G we're not talking no, about no, tenor no, sax no, we're no, talking no. about big yeah, yeah, yeah. full on full on sax I, I feel I feel stupid I, I even asked that question so we um, I started to learn and um, guy used to come to my house and um, we uh, I, I can't learn how to play the sax and then obviously the motorbike and then in between that I got a call uh, from, a, from a guy saying Liz would you like to learn how to fly a helicopter and at the first, I was like, mm, yeah, I think I would. <laughs> was it about that short a decision yeah, time at yeah, the time yeah, at all? Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, had you I been would. in one at that stage? Um, no, I hadn't. I hadn't. And I remember going to the, the airfield and the fella saying to me, we're going to go up in this and you're going to either love it or you're going to hate it. And I always remember going up and actually come back to London. And I went for a flight at Elstree. Um, and Where the, the film studios were? Yeah. And a fellow said to me, you're going to either love it or hate it when we do this. Because he'd come down to London, I'd come back to London for the summer, and he said, you love it all. So anyway, I, I, I jumped up, uh, we, we went out, and when I first got in, it was this little two-seater, our Robinson R22, this little two-seater thing, that, and I was thinking, I was expecting this big, massive, sort of like, helicopter. Chinook yeah. or something like that, yeah. Little tiny uh, two-seater thing. So we, we went up, and we, we, f- we started flying, and I was like, wow, this don't feel that safe, this don't feel that great, you know what I mean? And he said to me, you love it, hate it? And I was thinking, I'm starting to hate this a little bit, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So he went to me, where do you live, Liz? And I went, uh, and at the time I lived in a place called Arkley, which is literally by air two minutes from Elstree. Right. So he said, whereabouts? I said, oh, I'd live just up, up over there. So it flew over my house. I saw my house. And once I saw my house, that was it. <laughs> Boom, I was done. I was like, I'm fine. And he wow. was, we started flying around, and he said, you take control. And straight away, he gave me control, and like, I was a little bit wee, 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 but like, um, kind of like liked it. And so um, we flew around a little bit, saw some other bits and pieces that I knew, and then, um, boom, 
landed back at Elstree. You didn't land it first time, did no, you? No, no, no. He landed back at Elstree and then we went through some bits and pieces and he said, what do you think? I said, yeah, I want to do this. <laughs> and, um, and ended up sort of like doing it. Uh, is it complicated? Secretly. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, so, <laughs> helicopters are not very secret. They're quite noisy, they're quite big, they're quite noisy. Yeah, but what, what, what I mean is, uh, it's secretly... Uh, so not no Newcastle one, no, no, yeah, no, Not no, even I, Kevin? No, no one no one knew about it. it. must have been a player, uh, you? Absolutely no one knew about it at the time. I used to just, I used to take myself off in the afternoons and I'd have, I'd have a lesson <laughs> and, uh, until I got to a point was where... Was part of the thrill, the sort of guilty pleasure of like... Yeah, no, no one knows. knows. Yeah, it was like, you know, you know <laughs> apart from a girlfriend and, and that stuff, no one else knew and I was like, I'm doing it. Why do I Anyway, I, I used to take myself off in the afternoons and then um, I'd, I'd fly and I said to the guy, how long does it normally take to... And I think you need to do 60 hours... Uh, but most people do 75, 80 hours and stuff like that, unless you can put a load of time into it um, and go consistently over a period. And then I moved back to Tottenham. I, I left Newcastle, moved back to Tottenham, and I was in the midst of doing it, so I, I carried on. And so there were some afternoons where I'd, I'd go, right, training's finished, and I'd say to the geezer, right, I'll be there at uh, half one or two o'clock, and I'd jump in the car like, what are you off to? Let's go, oh, I've got to go, I've got to go. I'd zoom off and I'd get halfway down the meetings. road and the fellow would phone and say, oh, there's the weather conditions today, mate. I said, well, it's all right. He'd go, no, 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 it's coming in and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, eventually I um, I, I, I did my test. Uh, got test. it? Yeah. And it's really funny because what happens is when you go to uh, when you go to do uh, your helicopter licence, you the first exam you take is ear law. Okay. So you, you learn about the different zones that you can fly in and all that, and the, the etiquette of the radio and everything else. And so you, you learn about air and, and, and the kind of traffic. thing that these drones are affecting now because yeah. drones aren't, no, nobody owns yeah. air law with drones and they go into places they shouldn't be. Exactly. So um, you learn about air law, and, and, and you cannot fly solo until you learn air law. Okay, right, which, makes is, sense. which makes sense. Yeah. So um, anyway, I, uh, that was my first exam I did. So I did my air law exam. And then I was able to do circuits and stuff on my own, and you know, you fly around, and I was loving it. Mm. So, you know, me being up in this helicopter on my own, just doing circuits and coming and landing, taking off again, doing circuits and all that. So, I'd gone about six months of doing this. So, then um, one, of the, one of the women that worked at, uh, at uh, Cab Air, it was, she turned around and she said to me, Les, do you know that you, um, you've got all your, your other exams to do? And I went, yeah, she goes, well, you've got seven other exams to do with this and you're running out of time. So I went, what do you mean I'm running out of time? She says, well, do you know that after you take your first exam, you've got 12 months to complete the rest of them? So this girl, uh, who's a really good friend of mine now, her name's Kat, and she flies for, she flies for Virgin now. She took me on meteorology. That was, that was the next exam I did with her, meteorology. And when I did that, she went... Why haven't you done all the other exams? So I went, well, I got a little bit um, excited about going out on solos and all that. And she went, Les, you've got to have these done by, um, I, I'd say, like four months to go. So she goes, right, I'm going to work with you. We'll get you through. And then she went, boom, every, every other week we were doing another exam. Like, you know, law, like, meteorology. Yeah. Meteorology, um, human performance, um, helicopter tech. What is uh, human performance? Uh, it's a, uh, human performance is basically t- talks to you about. So, so, for instance, when you're in a, an aeroplane and you turn left or you turn right yeah. and you feel the sensation, yeah, the actual sensation is coming from hairs in your nose. 
No way. Yeah, exactly. And and stuff like that. And it's what? just like you think it's you think do you, it's you. Do you think she might have been pulling all over your eyes? No, no, this is, that's no, not no, even no. credible, this man. Is, that's... This, no, this is in the books. So you work you work off the books and all that. So okay. human performance and uh, sort of like the, the fatigue signs that you need to look for okay. and all the different bits and pieces that can affect your your flying as a as, as a human being. So you do that, yeah, to do um, obviously navigation, radio te- telephony. Um, so there was all these. Uh, other exams that you had to do, so there was seven exams. Pushed aside while you were, yeah, so I was like, and, then all, and then all of a sudden I had a right panic up because I had to get them done, and it, fortunately I got more done within. So, and, and all it is is if you don't if you don't get it done within the year. So, Start for again. instance, I had to if I hadn't done it all in that year, then all I really had, had to have done is ear law again, and then it, you know whatever ones I hadn't done in a, a twelve. What's twelve the furthest you've gone, or, or what's the furthest you you can go, or what's the furthest you feel safe going? Uh, well. To, to be honest, when I was uh, when I left Tottenham, I uh, went to West Ham, had a bit of Leicester, and then I, I joined. Sam persuaded me to, to join Bolton. Bolton, yeah, yeah. all so right. I used to fly to Bolton in the morning. From here? From from Elstree. <laughs> all right. So on a, on a Monday morning, I'd fly to. Uh, That's a long way. I used to fly into Bolton. It used to take me about an hour and a half. I didn't until this minute. I didn't actually know that you could be up in a helicopter. Fuel, I didn't know about fuel capacity. Yeah, yeah so, it's so you, yeah. you got L Street, Bolton. Yeah. So what would normally be like a three and a bit hour drive, four hour drive, used to take me uh, an hour and a half in the helicopter. So I used to land at a place called Barton, right. and I get because uh, I, I was I wouldn't go back and forth every day. So no. I'd, I'd go on a Monday, stay in Bolton till whenever Sam said, "Look, go back home." If we were playing in London, because there was lots of games in London back then, he'd say, right, go home on Wednesday night and we'll see you in London. See you down there. See you in the hotel on Friday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, cause, you know, And he knew about this, at least. Yeah, he, he knew about it, yeah. So I um, used to fly into... To the Boston. way you explain it, it makes sense. Yeah, and so it just made it so easy for me. And I remember when I... when I uh, In the midst of being at Bolton, I was halfway through the season, and um, Sam, I said to Sam, Sam, you know, you persuaded me to play for another year. Uh, I was 38... I was going. I was in, in going in my thirty ninth year, and I said to him, "You've persuaded me to play for another year. I want to play." He went, "What are you talking about?" He said, "Like you're going to play." He says, "Like you know." Um, at the time, Kevin Davis had had the best year he'd had at, at Bowen, and he said, "Look, Kevin's going to start, but you're going to play games. You scored more goals than Kevin last year. You're going to play." But that was the year they finished in Europe. So they got off to a fantastic... Fernando Hierro played? Yeah, Fernando Hierro. I played with Fernando. And big old... Yeah, um, uh, Ivan Campo? Campo. And, wow. Uh, yeah, so JJ Kocher and, and, and stuff like that. You know? I was a team you yeah. were in, huh? And so um, I was like... I got to, to around about Christmas time, and obviously they got off to a flying start, so I was coming off the bench every now and again. And Well, at the beginning I was coming off all the time, and then as things got a bit tight, I was, I was fine. That one. So I pulled Sam at just towards Christmas time, and I said, Sam, look, you know... I know this is my last year, and if it's going to be my last year, I want to play. Mm. And he went, you're 39 years of age. You should, you're earning good money. You're coming on. I said, no, no, no. I said, I don't want to sit on your bench and earn good money. I want to play. And if I can't play, I'd rather not play at all. So he went to me, look, uh, a couple of teams have come in um, to take you on, uh, on loan. He said, but I want to keep you because you'll play a lot more in the second half of the season. And I said, look, let me have a think about it. Um, but you know, if this is going to be my last year, I want to try and play as many games as I can. So then he said to me, like, QPR, uh, Reading, uh, and he said, I know you probably want to get back down to London. So um, anyway, um, we couldn't do the deal for me to come to QPR, so I ended up going to Reading. Yeah. So when I got to Reading, got in the change rooms and we, you know, train a few days and all that. And then one of the boys went to me, 
is. You've got a helicopter. I wish I could portray the little, the, the face like just under the front. The face is, there's quite something quite strange to ask you here. He went, Liz, I understand you've got a helicopter. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, so, what do you do? I said, what do you mean? So, when you want to go somewhere, what do you do? You call up the pilot and you say, look, I want to go blah, 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 and then he meets you and you go, I said, no, 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 when I want to go somewhere, I find out the, the flying school and say, can you get my helicopter ready, please? And he went, oh, don't be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so he went to me, don't be stupid. I went, what do you mean? He said, you don't fly it. I went, of course I fly it. So he went, nah, no, I'm not having that, lad. You wouldn't believe me. <laughs> so we played on the we played on the Saturday, and we had a game on the Tuesday. So we we were coming in on the Sunday for a warm down. So I said, I said to Stevie Cobble, I said, Steve, look, um, you don't fly a helicopter. He went, yeah, yeah. I said, the lads don't believe me. So I said, um, can I fly in on Sunday? And he said, I said, if there's no games, you're flying on Sunday. So he went, oh, that'd be brilliant. Let's give us a bit of lift, <laughs> you know. So he said, but look, don't um don't fly in. Um, he said, I'll get the lads out. How long will it take you? And it's, I live in St Albans. Right. So um, yeah, nice. if I drove to, to Reading, it used to take me an hour because yeah. I had to go through all the back roads and blah, blah, blah. It took me less than 20 minutes oh, in the helicopter. Right. So anyway, I flew over and um, I got to... Um, I got to, And I had uh, I had my own helicopter at the time. I had it in blue and white. And, and so I... Uh, <laughs> so I get close to the train and go... He's got the boys out and they're about to do the warm-up and they're probably thinking, where's Les like, you know what I mean? So you now I land, I land on the training pitch, like, you know what I mean? And none of them could believe it. Well, a few of them thought, yeah, knew that I'd flown, but most of the lads didn't believe that I flew it myself. But I had, obviously had no one alongside me, it was just me on my own. Sick, and I was like, you know what I mean? It was, um, it was, uh, yeah, so... Um, it takes a man of some stature and imagination and ambition to do that. Yeah. I bet you had so much fun. I bet it was a stress relief. Oh, do you know what? Driving. You you go you get up there at times, and you know I've flown to. I remember flying to uh, uh, when the, when the, the cup finals used to be at, at Cardiff. Cardiff. I remember oh, going. God. I remember going there one day, uh, flying into Celtic Manor, and um, watched the game. And then I remember one of the helicopter pilots there saying, "Me, Liz, you've flown in today, haven't you?" I said, yeah, he said, look, you better keep an eye on the weather, the weather's coming in. Ooh. And I was like, okay. So he said, just be careful going back to Elstree. He said, there's some big storms coming. I said, okay. So I checked the weather and there was there was a few storms coming. So anyway, I get in the helicopter and I always remember Jamie Redknapp and um, Jeff Shrews from Sky. I was going, Les, we're going to be okay. And I was going, yeah, it's absolutely okay. So anyway, I get in the helicopter, we take off and I go across the water. I get down to Bryce Norton and... Um, I could see the weather, and the great thing about the helicopter is, from a distance, uh, you can see the weather. It's super visibility you because you see the weather yeah. coming in. And I went, chaps, that looks a bit nasty. So they was going, what are you gonna, what are you going to do? And I said, well, look, the instructor that I passed my test with, he always said to me, the great thing about helicopters is, when the weather comes in, if it looks too bad, just put it down on the, on the deck. Just stop. Just stop and put it down on the deck and let the weather go through and you can always take off. I said, most most accidents happen when people try to plough through yeah. what's coming through, so I remember came through. We got to Bryce Norton and um, I called up Elstree and I said, Elstree, you know, give them a call sign and I said, look, I'm coming back from, from Cardiff and what's the weather like? They went, Les, wherever you are right now, put, a, put the helicopter Whoa. down. Um, he said that you've got some bad weather coming in. We had some people who left earlier than in what you've left and they were going on to... Uh, they were going on a bit further, but they had to drop down in Elstree and, and stop for a while. So um, he said, where are you? I said, I'm right near Bike Rise Norton. And they went, well, probably won't let you in because it's a military RAF, base. Yeah. And so I said, OK. So I, I said, look, I'm going to try them. So I 
called up Vice Norton and said, look, weather's coming in, I'm on my way back to Elsie, blah, blah, blah. They was brilliant, they went, you're coming. So, did, you, did you see who it was? No, I didn't, I just said, <laughs> I'll give them a call to Lane Cohen and said, I told them exactly what had happened, and they went, yeah, we've had a few um, go past and the weather's coming in, yeah, please drop in, and so we dropped in and all of a sudden we're surrounded by all these guys with guns and all that, like, do you know what I mean, making sure we are who we were. But they're all gone up. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. They were yeah, yeah, they was like, yeah, they didn't check who we were, yeah, they just, uh, they come out and with the rifles and all that and they're, they're standing there making sure who we were, we were, who we were and, and stuff and so we get out of the helicopter and, um, because it's an American base as well. So, I didn't know that, I didn't know that, so yeah. it's ultra serious yeah. in that case. So anyway, we landed in there and um, I said to him, look, um, we're going to have to get a taxi from here. So we're going to get a taxi from Bryce Norton back home and leave. I left the helicopter. Left it there? Yeah, because the weather was that bad. You weren't getting up again when, that we, night. When, when, I, when I went in and spoke to their, their, um, their, their, their controllers, uh, the weather people, they said, look, you ain't getting her back home tonight, so I just let her jump in the taxi and went home. When, when, when this podcast series finally takes off, I had other objectives, but now <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a bumper Graham helicopter. <laughs> to finish you take another drink or kick us out that's my challenge no problems mate no problems because I'm not going to ask you about uh, you made me laugh a lot now but you understand football and you've been you've been a first hand participant in something that I think I'm seeing again so unless you watch a lot of Real Madrid I'm not going to draw you necessarily on Real Madrid right now but when Zinedine Zidane takes over two years ago almost exactly two years ago he comes into a squad of extraordinary talents who are just a little bit underperforming daily Mm-hmm. and in matches and the fit between them and Rafa Benitez has been uncomfortable and they've just shrugged their shoulders a little bit shrugged him off and Zidane comes in and all that's really needed because these guys are not only fabulous talents but almost to a man they're, they're born competitors mm-hmm. they, most of them have got that mix of character and talent so despite the history of Real Madrid Zidane is the winningest coach in two years that there's ever been mm-hmm. He makes them European champions and Spanish champions at the same time for the first time since 1958. Wow. No, you don't think that of Real Madrid. You think yeah. Spanish champions all the time, European champions. So he's done historic things, including back-to-back Champions League, which, you know, Lippi couldn't manage, Ferguson couldn't manage. And right now it's gone tits up. Mm-hmm. You look at it right now and they're a little bit hapless. They've won three trophies already this season. That's how mad life is at Real Madrid. You know, the the world, the two Super Cups. But they're a historic distance behind Barcelona. They've never been so far behind Barcelona in their entire history. And I don't know. I I look at what you experienced with... Zidane is in his second full year of coaching. Mm -hmm. So it's understandable that he doesn't have all the answers. No. You can't, no matter how well you played. Maybe he's going to be a terrific coach or manager. But he's cutting his teeth at Real Madrid after winning eight trophies because the fit between him going, right, lads, this is what training is going to be like. They all go, yeah, I'm up for this. And suddenly you unleash the power. I look at Newcastle, I look at Kevin. I look at Kevin Keegan, who's, who radiates enthusiasm. Yep. Who is something equivalent in English terms to Zidane in terms of what he achieved at Liverpool, went to Hamburg, um, European footballer, Ballon d'Or of, of mm. its type. Yet, there was a moment, people always talk about the, you know, the explosive interview after Leeds and his, you know, they, they mock him for it. 
But there's a moment when Newcastle were just everybody's darling because it was beautiful to watch. Without saying player for player, the way that Newcastle played and were regarded, and the way that Real Madrid played under Zidane and regarded, I think are similar. Mm. And right now, Zidane isn't sure quite what's going on or, or how to cure it. And there was a spot at that time when you didn't win the title that I think everybody outside yeah. Salford wanted you to. And, and Kevin couldn't quite manage it. What was the day and night comparison in your manager from the first seven months when, or first however many months that you get there and it's pure joy and he gets everything right to him not quite knowing what's gone wrong or how to fix it? Right, okay. I think there's two, there's two things here. When, when things started to go wrong for us, um, what happened? We had perhaps had only one person in that changing room that ever won anything in his career in Peter Beers. Pedro, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody else knew what it took to get across that finishing line. So when we lost the first three points, we were 12 points clear mm-hmm. with a game in hand. Mm-hmm. When we lost the first game, we were still nine points clear with a game in hand. So the attitude of the players in the dressing room was, oh, we're still nine points clear with a game in hand. So if we win that game in hand, which we expected to do, we'd be 12 points clear again. Rather than that, hey, listen here, we've just lost three points here. We've got to make sure this don't happen again. There was a bit of a complacency in the changing rooms um, amongst the players in losing those first three points that it didn't matter. Uh, we were going to get, we were going to win our game in hand. That was going to put us 12 points clear and we were just going to carry on mm-hmm. doing that. I think... Like Man City had just lost uh, to Liverpool, mm-hmm. I think the reaction in the changing room will be very different to what ours was. Mm-hmm. They'll be hurt by it. Mm-hmm. We wasn't hurt by losing that three points. We were more. Oh, it's, it's to be expected. Blah, 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 blah. And unfortunately, I think that hurt us more than anything else mm-hmm. because then we went on a run where we just couldn't get out of that that mindset that everything will be all right, everything could be all right, and then obviously. I think Liverpool, the, the Liverpool 4-3 was the infamous game for us. I think had we won that, that would probably kick-started us back to getting to where we needed to be. We just never did because we went after that game and lost to, we lost Arsenal, Liverpool and then we lost uh, to Blackburn. And that, it was just now a game in hand. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and I think, I think with Zinedine, um, and this is only my own personal opinion, mm. most of the top managers, when their teams win, we still change it. Yes. Just keep everything in the toes. Whereas I don't think he's changed too much. Mm. And sometimes the complacency of having won those trophies, what's there to go for? But, you know, you look at Alex Ferguson through, through his, his, his time at Manchester United, they'd win things. And all of a sudden he said, he's, the first thing he used to do is look around at who was ready to win something again next season. And if you weren't ready, he just went, see ya. And he brought someone else in. Mm. And that gave them the impetus to go on and, and win. And so everyone was always on their toes because they knew he'd get rid of you at any, mm. at any time. And I don't think that's the same. And that, that could just be the naivety of, you know, Kim coming into his first big job. It is. And understanding that. And, you know, the thing about, you know, it being his first big job, I know he's been at the club for, for quite a while now before he took the, took the reins Correct. As, as, as manager. That, for me, is the, is the difference. You know, Keegan... 
as you said, he was effervescent. He was he was everything we needed him to be for for, for seven. Months. When the going was good, it was it was fun. It was brilliant. When the game was good, it was brilliant. Um, what was daily like life like on the training ground? You know what we would train on a. I, you know, I told a story a lot to people who asked me what it was like. We would train on a Friday um, at the time. You know, right at the beginning of the season, right up to we started losing games. But we would train on a Friday afternoon or Friday morning before the game on the Saturday. And I used to think to myself, bloody hell, whoever we're playing against tomorrow is going to get an absolute hiding because the ball would be... The one thing Kevin always demanded of his teams was you trained at match tempo. Mm. So wherever you went, whatever time you trained, you was at it. You was at it. So sometimes the training was like the ball was just going bang, 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 one, two, touch, bang, 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 bang. And you used to think on a Friday, we used to have these round-robbing games. You used to think... So a five v five, five waiting, yeah, and then in, off, off on, non-stop, yeah. and the, and the ball, tackles, be, yeah, tackles, everything, yeah, everything, yeah, nothing held no, back. Everything was at match tempo. So you know, David Batty used to kick people in training, but no one complained about it because he kicked people in games. Mm-hmm. You know, so the ball would be zipping about, and it was like it was great to be part of. You know, and, and as you said, I think outside of Salford, you know, we was everybody's second favourite team. It was stunning to watch. Yeah, it was yeah. fabulous to yeah. watch. And then and then as well, I think. You know, when you look back on it, you know, I had 21 goals by Christmas mm-hmm. and I only scored eight the second half of the season. So that in itself tells you that, you know, I lost form. You know, Rob Lee, who'd been absolutely brilliant for us, he lost... There was too many... Gillespie got injured. The Gillespie got injured on the right-hand side and, and, and you know, what happened was Keegan played Peter out there, brought a spiller into the side... Um, played, uh, tried to play Peter out on the right, but Peter was always going to drift back in there. So, you know, I always remember playing in that infamous game against uh, against Liverpool. I always remember um, Paul Ince saying, "We knew that David Ginola was going to keep going, keep going, keep, and at some stage we were going to get John Beresford one on one with Steve McManaman, or two on one down that side because David wouldn't do the, the backtracking. Then you had that down the other side as well because now no longer was Keith Gillespie Keith, there." Uh, Peter was coming. You got Peter, but he's coming in to play ten in behind exactly. the strap. So yeah. then you had that down both sides. So it was all those little things that. But you know, we only knew how to play football one way, and that was you score one, we're going to try and score two. You score two, we're going to try and score three. And in the end, that was the. It's the Real Madrid way as well. Zidane has said in public and says to his front foot, boss the game. We don't actually want to ship in two or three, yeah. but we'll score four or five yeah, or six, yeah. whatever. When you're playing that, when you're watching it, it's going well, isn't it? <laughs> As a centre forward, it's the best thing that can happen to you because you know that chances are going to come. And, yeah, you wear the number nine at Newcastle, you know there's a big responsibility with that shirt. But you had so many good players about you contributing with goals and stuff like that as well. That I remember one we went to play against Everton and Keegan called me to the front of the coach. So I went to the front of the coach and he said, you know when I used to come and watch you at QBR? I said, yeah. He said, there were times where you'd pick the ball up on the halfway line and you'd just surge and you'd run with it. See, I've seen you score goals off the end of it. Why don't you do it anymore? And I said, well, well, because when the ball comes into me now, I feel like I've got so many options that if I was to turn and run with it and lose it, I feel I'm doing a discredit to the rest of my players. I said, I feel like I've got so many options. And that, I said, that's no disrespect to, to, to the players at QBR. I just feel the way we play on the front foot every time the ball comes in, I've got so many options to, to, to lay the ball off. I always remember he said to me, well, I want you to get back to, to, to doing that. So I said, OK. He said, but like maybe not today, because he said, we, we've never had much luck here at Goodison Park. 
and I went to him, oh, I don't lose here. Like that. <laughs> and I scored my 100th goal in, in league football at Goodison Park. Picked it up on a half-wire lane, turned around and went, just smacked it in the bottom corner. There you go, boss. And he, he looked around at me and he was like that. And then we ended up winning the game 3-1. And I said, I know what the reason is. When I was a player here, um, I played against uh, Everton in the game and I got into a, a, a bit of a tussle with one of the players and then I got some racist, some racist mail here that sent to me. When I opened it up, it was all swastikas and stuff like that. Oh, and, and, all that. and so it, it kind of like gave me the impetus to... Uh, and if you look at my record against Everton, I've scored more goals against Everton than any other team I've played You're up for it. And I used to say to people, if I only scored two goals in a season, it'd be home and away to, <laughs> at home to Everton and away against Everton. Like you know, and you know, I, I've now in, in, since then sort of like met people who are Everton supporters and all that. Mm-hmm. And one of my guy, one of the guys I know, he, he used to be a season ticket holder. And um, I went there with Spurs, uh, first game of the season once, and I'd, I'd, I'd broken my wrist at the back end of one season, and so I had this cast on, and I was probably a couple of weeks behind all the rest of the players in pre-season. And, and Glenn Oddle went to me, I've watched you in training, as he says, and I know you're a couple of weeks behind everyone. He goes, but you've been on fire. I want to take you. I said, I'm not going to start you. I'll have you on the bench, and I, I, I want to bring you on. He goes, but so I went, OK. So anyway, as, um, as the game's going on and all that, it gets to about... 65 minutes, 70 minutes. He goes, Lee, you ready? So I went, yeah. So he goes, go and warm up. And I was like, oh, <laughs> And my mate said he was sitting in the stand and he was going, he scores against us anyway. So what are you booing him? Shut up, shut up. He said, so he said he was arguing with someone about, about it, right? And he said, I went on the pitch and we were five minutes on scored like, you know, we, we was like, it was 1-1 and I scored to make it 2-1 and they scored right and left to make it 2-2. And he went to, when I scored, he went to, he went to his mate, shit, giving him that stick and see what he does. So for, you know, I've always had a real good record against, um, uh, I love the motivation. I love the stick. I'm going to, I'm going to shut up now, but, saying that I probably saw the goal that you didn't want to score because I reported in every United game <laughs> my paper and I ended up in the, in, in the camp now in that game where they blah 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 and because of a series of events I went to that camp now game got me work in Spain and I live in Spain because of what people thought of my work that day if you go back one it's the cup final against Newcastle yeah. you go back one the one that everybody kind of forgets about first part of the treble Season comes to a last day showdown between Old Trafford and Highbury. Oh, my. You boys, Spurs, you're, the club you love, have always loved, yeah. you're up there with a chance to turn over the treble, stick it up. You know, Andy Cole, why'd you, why'd you choose Andy Cole? Because Fergie wanted you, and yeah. it was eatsy-peaksy, sliding doors moment, you got in your cash. You come back down. Now, the, the goal you scored that day must stick out to you for actually the technique of it. Yeah. And it's Michael. Exactly, yeah. It's Michael at the peak of his career. He's, about, he's got three more games left. This one, that one, and he's about to leave. And you, well, I mean, take it away, but you, you didn't want to score that day, did you? I always wanted to score. Um, always wanted to score. Sorry, you didn't want to win that day. I didn't want to win that day, yeah. <laughs> um, Always wanted to score. Um, and then I remember sort of like the ball being played through. And, and, and that, that season there at Spurs, my, 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 my kind of season had been up and down, loads of injuries and mm. stuff like that. And it hadn't been what I wanted it to be. You know, um, I wanted to go there, I wanted to score bags of goals, and it just never really happened. But, you know, I always gave it my all, and I'd been out for a little while. I'd come back, played a couple of games, and here's our last game at Old Trafford. And... Um, I've got this uh, in ringing in the back of my, my, my mind that if we beat Man United at Old Trafford, Arsenal win the league. Can't get any worse. Really. So anyway, the game starts. 
and we're playing and we're playing and playing and all of a sudden the ball goes through and I see Schmeichel coming out I think I can lift it over him here so I lifted it over it ends up in the man I'm thinking Les, that's not a bad goal <laughs> that's not a bad goal but you know what you can't even celebrate <laughs> you know what I mean and I think it's the first time my it own supporters it was a sensational goal I think it was the first time my own supporters booed me you know what I mean because <laughs> I scored and we'd gone one up and Arsenal were like and it was the first time my name had been swung, sung at Ivory as well because one of my mates was there and he said your name has been sung at Ivory like, you know? and I was going Please go, man, you know. Please go, man, you know. Please go, man, you know. It was just unbelievable. I was thinking, I ain't had the best of times. And then I scored a goal that can win. And that's it. I'm done at Spurs. I'm going to have to leave at the end of this season, like, you know. But, you know. Yeah. Uh, they did. The history says that Beckham and Andy Cole got you out of a jam. Hopefully you enjoyed that big interview which was first released as an exclusive to our socios 12 months ago. If you'd like to get these interviews on the first day that they're available, it's time for you to join us to become a socio and for only £2.99 a month, you will get an exclusive big interview plus regular mini documentaries, not only all ad-free but all featuring me and bringing you interesting, funny and sometimes scandalous things from Spanish football. Go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter to unlock our entire archive. That means that once you join, you will have a treasure trove of interviews with funny, elite, interesting, revelatory top class footballers. By joining us, you will help support this independent podcast. You will help to keep us on the road interviewing people and sending that content for your delectation. If you go to the gym, you'll be slimmer. If you've got a dog, he or she will thank you. If you've got a TV, you can turn it off and listen to this instead.